Welcome to the Hey Soul Sister podcast, where Mel Histon will guide you through life's big questions and bring you one step closer to doing this crazy journey as best you can. Hey Soul Sisters, I was really fortunate recently to attend a three-day mindfulness retreat with my mindfulness guru, Charlotte Thurrett, which you would have heard on Hey Soul Sister. She's been on here oh, many, many times sharing all her mindfulness wisdom with us. Anyway, so I was at a retreat with Charlotte at the most wonderful location, Winmark Wines in the Hunter Valley. And for those of you who know me, I am a massive Shardy lover. So I was in heaven at Winmark because it has the most amazing Chardonnay wines. Chardonnay producing vineyard in the Hunter. What more could you want? Anyway, we were hosted by its owner, Karen Adcock, who I very quickly learned is just an amazing woman. And so I had to invite her onto Hey Soul Sister podcast to learn more about her story, her achievements, her life learnings, and maybe she can share her life learnings with all of you too, so that we can navigate this crazy journey as best that we can. You see, before Karen created Winmark Wines, she was already a really very highly accomplished awarded businesswoman. She was actually Telstra Businesswoman of the Year in 2010, which is awesome, and has won numerous other awards. So why is she so accomplished? Well, you know those awesome little jewellery pieces that we all fell in love with years ago, Pandora? Karen was actually the woman who brought Pandora jewellery to Australia. She introduced it to Australia back in 2004 and launched it from her garage in Avalon and then went for national domination, which I love. Anyway, I've got Karen here with me today. Hey, Karen, how are you going? Yes, good. How are you? Oh, it's so great to have you in here on Hey Soul Sister. Uh, thanks so much for having me. You are one amazing, very accomplished soul sister. I mean, when I was at Winmark Wines, you were very humble. You know, I, I could see that this is amazing vineyard. It's so beautiful there. Beautiful house, vineyards, sculptures everywhere. But I actually didn't really know anything about you. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, Karen's done all these amazing things. I love having people coming to Winmark. For me, it's all about sharing that beautiful place and people having a nice time out. And I actually get a lot out of just seeing that uh, enjoyment yeah. in people. So it's not about me, it's about the property and them feeling rested, peaceful. And we we often talk about Winmark as a place to connect. Yeah. And and that's just really what we want people to, to do when they get there, connect with themselves, con- connect with the nature, yeah. connect with the friends or family they, they come with. Yeah. Um, and just have a really nice time out. I certainly really got that. I mean, I was on a mindfulness retreat, so we were being mindful and doing meditations and things. But that valley that you were in at Brogue and the countryside, it's just so peaceful there. And of course, you produce amazing shardies. So <laughs> now, thank you. I'm really curious, how did you start your career? I mean, you're from Denmark. You can tell from that Danish accent. How did you start? How did you come to be here and and do all those things? So I uh, came to Australia in 1995 and I have met my ex-husband, but I met him at a a bus stop up in Hong Kong. At a bus stop? At a bus stop. I love that. (laughs) And ended up traveling to Australia to to live with him uh, six months later. And, uh, And I came literally the two suitcases and... A couple of thousand dollars in my pocket, and that was all all I had. Wow! And and had to um, kind of reinvent myself and work out. So what am I going to do now? I was thirty-one years at the time, and it was 
exciting but also a bit daunting and I had very much decided I was going to stay in Australia for good and initially when people asked me so as how long are you here for and I said no, no I'm here I'm here for good and they looked at me I couldn't quite comprehend that so I realized that I can't say that maybe I'll just say I'm here for six weeks yeah so for quite a while I kept saying I'm here for six weeks yeah <laughs> and eventually they stopped asking yeah and I've now been here for almost 27 years and and love being in Australia. Uh, and d- had you done a business degree or anything back in Denmark? Had you studied business? No, uh, I am trained as a school teacher, but never uh, worked as a school teacher. Uh, I did some some training as part of the four year education where I worked in schools, and I did love working with the kids. But I knew that actual teaching was not for me. I worked in. Denmark for about 10 years doing project management and big building projects yeah. and, and also worked at a couple of uh, very large farms in the middle America and, and that gave me the experience in working on farms. I wasn't daunted when I first saw Winmark or back then yeah. it was called Pools Rock. I just saw that as a really exciting challenge and, and I think that I have spent some time in my young years working at very large farms made it easier for me to take on the challenge. So, so what were you doing working on large farms in middle America? <laughs> oh, it, was, it was part of, I think it was part of my training, really, the company I worked with. They, uh, they sent me to Belize for six months where I worked at the time on a, one of the biggest mango farms in the world. And wow. I had to you know, plant all these little mango trees and create a nursery for mango trees. And, and that was my project for six months. And we I think we planted about 100,000 mango trees. It was, it was quite a exciting things to be allowed to do. I think I was 23 years old at the time. but wow. And I had no idea what I was doing. I'm <laughs> very much learning by doing on the job. Which I think is the best way to learn sometimes, learning by doing. Yeah. And, and I think I was often thrown into situations where I had to learn and learn really quickly. Yeah. And the people I worked for believed in me and believed I could do it. So... Therefore, I had to race to the occasion and certainly later in life uh, with the people I have dealt with, I've often allowed people to grow by entrusting that they were capable of doing projects, which they possibly didn't think themselves they could do. But by being entrusted a, a challenge or a project, they actually rose to the occasion and learned yeah. so much along the way and took ownership of it. Yeah, so when you took on Winmark, created Winmark, that wouldn't have been so daunting. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah. At the time, driving in to the property, I actually came there thinking, oh, I'm definitely not going to get involved with the <laughs> vineyard, and then drove into the property and fell completely in love with it. And then wow. within a week, suddenly, you know, we owned the vineyard and we, <laughs> we had to, to yeah. start that. Want to save your soul? Review us on Apple Podcast. Okay, so you arrive in Australia. You've been working on farms in middle America. <laughs> you come into Australia and at some stage you decide that you're going to pitch for the rights to bring Pandora to Australia. What made you think to do that? That's, that's a big thing to do. <laughs> yeah, so the first 10 years I was in Australia, I did quite a few different things. Just before I, I started Pandora, I had started a little soft furnishing company, yeah. which I ran from home while I had my little, my, my girls at the time. Now, um, I imagine that you're very stylish because every Danish person I know, which is a few, 
they're all incredibly stylish and I've seen Winmar, I've seen your home. It's in, it's stylish. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, I, I do love creating beautiful homes and put things together and I keep changing things around and part of my work I've been doing in Denmark were to do furnishings and, and renovations of, of schools. So I thought maybe I could do a little soft furnishing business and combine my skills with also being a mom and work from home. So I did that for two years and had quite a bit of work coming through, but I made no money. Pretty much every customer I got ended up becoming good friends. Yeah. <laughs> and the good friends got mates rates. Yeah. So I had all this work coming through and did not actually make any money. That's one of so, the hardest things in business, isn't it, is yeah. the mates rates. Because yeah. you kind of initially, when you start a business, rely on friends and family. Yeah. That's kind of tough trying to navigate that. Yeah, now it, it is very difficult. And, and I'm very clear now when I have friends which are doing a service, which is their, their line of work, always saying to them, look, I don't want mate rates. You've got to charge me what it costs you because otherwise you're not going to make this work. And and obviously you're always looking for getting a good deal. But I think if you are ever asking somebody to do a job for you, you actually got to be, be fair about that they're trying to make a living too. I agree, absolutely. And, and I also, I know it's a little bit woo-woo, but I also believe there's something karmic in that as well. It's like if yeah. you value others, that they will value you back. Yeah. Uh, now, I'd, when, during my two years of doing the soft furnishing, I had, had a school mum which, um, which wanted me to help with some curtains or some blinds to her room. And I, I worked my butt out. I think it took me about five days and ended up doing it on a very short time frame because she had some family coming in and suddenly she needed it. And when I then presented her with what I thought was a very good price, she got mortified and was very upset that I charged her oh, wow. <laughs> what I did. And, and I charged her less than half, yeah. the, half the going rate. And it just did something to our relationship because I thought, but hang on, you surely wouldn't have expected me to spend my last five days working 10 hours a day to do these blinds for you. Yeah. And they were difficult to do and then not pay for it at all. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to be careful when you're asking friends to do things. And, and that actually taught me always to make sure that I was very fair if I ever asked friends yeah. to do a job for me. And also be really clear, I think, up front as well. Yeah. Be very clear and go, actually, this is what it's going to cost. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Yeah. Before I go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When I had done that for two years, I came to, I either had to open up a much bigger shop and really make that uh, a much more volume coming through uh, so I could start making some money or stop altogether. Yeah. So I had just had a very good friend from Denmark visiting and she had told me about Pandora in Denmark. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should have a look at that yeah. because I'd always look for something to bring in from Denmark. Because it's a Danish brand. Yeah, Pandora is Danish. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I ended up taking my oldest daughter, which was seven, and my baby daughter, which was nine months old, and uh, take the two of them back with me to Denmark because I wanted to pursue whether maybe I should try to get Pandora into Australia. And I left my, I had a, another daughter or have another daughter, but at the time she was 18, 19 months old or so. So I had, yeah. I had three kids under seven. Wow. Um, so I contacted Pandora in Denmark when I got there and got a meeting with them. And long story short, but I ended up getting the agency and later in life realized that I only got the agency for two reasons. Uh, one was I was Danish, so they didn't need to speak English. And secondly, we were so far away. So if it didn't work, it didn't matter. <laughs> Wow, and I love that. I love you're a mum with three little kids, and you can't. That's why I go. I find it fascinating that you had the courage 
and the foresight to do that. I mean, that's so ballsy. I love it. Uh, but I have to be honest, though, when I had that initial meeting with Pandora, I kept talking about my seven-year-old daughter. I did not mention my two daughters under two <laughs> because I thought if I do say that I have two children under two, there's no way I'll get this agency. Yeah. I think it was hard enough for them to come to terms with the fact that I had no experience whatsoever in the duolo industry. But we had a really good conversation around how we could bring Pandora to Australia. And I think that was ultimately why I ended up getting the agency. And a couple of years later, I sent them a Christmas card with all these kids and yeah. I thought, oh, where did these kids come from? <laughs> they were always there. <laughs> they were always there. Yeah. Now, I read in an article that you paid $35,000 for the rights. No, no, no. I don't know where that came from, but yeah. I borrowed $35,000 ah. from my father. I didn't pay anything for the rights. We just yeah. got the right to distribute the brand here. Yes. And in fact, when we got the contract, I took it to some lawyers and they looked at it and said, look, at the end of the day, this contract is not worth the paper it's written on. If we go back with all the things we really should put in to secure you better, it will cost you a fortune and they probably wouldn't accept it anyway. So he said, the best thing you can do is just to build a really strong relationship with the owner of the brands and then hopefully that will carry you through. And I decided to do that. And although we were the market which were furthest away from Pandora in Denmark, we are there to say, well, probably, well, we were the market which were closest with them yes. around how we would develop the brand. That's really important, isn't it? Relationships. Yeah. Relationships is really important, working yeah. with people. Yeah. yeah. And without a doubt, when Pandora was sold off to private equity five years later, the founder of Pandora was very insistent that they had to look after me yeah. and make sure that they worked out a proper deal with us because we had been such an integral part in growing the brand. And at that time, Pandora were in, I think, about 60 countries and Australia represented 15% of the global turnover. Wow. And we were the third largest market. And actually, for a little while, we were the second biggest market. Yeah. So we had a very big impact also on Pandora globally. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. I remember being at a wedding and two women that were there had just come back from Europe and they said, oh, have you heard? Pandora is in Australia. And I was like, I hadn't heard of Pandora. And they were like, oh no, we've just been in Europe. Pandora's everywhere. It's amazing. It's this jewelry. And they were describing it to me. And one of the women actually had a Pandora bracelet on that she had bought over in London. And they were just raving about it. And they were so excited it was in Australia. And then it seemed as though next thing, boom, it was everywhere. How did you do that? So you started off in your garage you know, humble beginnings. And the next thing, Pandora is all over Australia. It's what, 15% of the global market. Yep. So it, it took a little while. The first year, we really only got 36 accounts going. And yep. they were, um, uh, the, the, it was mainly gift stores, which were selling uh, yep. Pandora. A lot of jewellery stores, or well, pretty much every jewellery store, went into said, oh, oh, yeah, that's nice. But no, it's not for us. We'd rather spend time on selling a $5,000 diamond ring than selling a, a $25 Pandora charm. Yeah. And, and it took a little while. The gift stores which, which came on board with the concept loved it and really started to promote it amongst their customers. And 
and it's very much a brand that once you have bought the bracelet, and then you need to start adding charms to it. Yeah. So one customer suddenly becomes 10 customers because you come back and you want to replenish and get another piece or, you, or some of your friends come in to, to buy your charms. So it, yeah. it builds very quickly from there. And now a very good friend of mine, but back then I didn't know her, Lindsay Evans, which uh, were from New Zealand, but was selling watches across Australia into one of the big jewellery chains. I met her and she uh, started selling Pandora into jewellery stores and that was probably I think a year and a half after we had started and as Lindsay were travelling around and, and a couple of jewellery stores started selling it and they realised what opportunity there was with the brand they started to talk to one another Yeah, and we started getting many many more jewellery stores on board Because it's the ultimate gift I remember it's like if it was our daughter's birthday or a niece's birthday or a friend's birthday, we'd go to Pandora and buy it. Well, it started off being a charm, but then it'd be a ring or... Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of men saying that Pandora is made for men. <laughs> it has taken the headache out of gift giving. <laughs> oh, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So you started off selling to retailers and then all of a sudden Pandora stores popped up. So was that like a strategic decision? Yes. Yeah, so there was a global strategic decision made that we were to start uh, doing concept stores and it was very much to make sure that we could present what the overall brand was all about because we found that some stores just wanted to focus on their charms were a bit reluctant in taking on the rings for example and yet those stores which were selling rings you could see that they were doing really well but it was very much up to the individual stores what they wanted to sell. And yet we could see that could potentially be so much more opportunity here with the brand if it was done in a more branded environment. So um, so there was a direction coming out from Denmark that we were to do start doing uh, concept stores and do franchise stores. I mean, at the time, I could hardly spell to franchising. <laughs> we, we engaged a franchise specialist and a law firm which was specialising in doing franchise uh, agreements and spent quite some time in really working right through. So what is franchising? How does it work? What is the difference between when you do a shop-and-shop environment versus a, a full franchise store or a concept store? And that took us some time to develop that whole concept. But we were actually the first market, again, which had a proper 100% concept store, which were fully branded. And we did that in uh, in QVB. Yeah. And uh, when we were doing the opening six weeks after we had just built this amazing store, which costed us a fortune at the time. And back then we owned the business, my husband and I. At the opening, the management of QB said, oh, would you like to have the store next door? <laughs> because we had that many people queuing up outside wow. the store and we just couldn't look after people in the store. There was just not enough space. So we had just spent $400,000 on fitting out the 36 square meters and then literally... Yeah, of course, we said yes to have the store next door. And then we had to go through Christmas because we were so close to Christmas. And that was really difficult managing that out of the 36 square meters. But we did that. And then we closed down after Christmas and invested in in doing the double space. And that was the start of of building the the concept stores across Australia and New Zealand. Well, I remember when Pandora came to our local shopping center at Westfield, Katara. Yeah. And I remember that it was so exciting. Pandora's here and it was yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah. People yeah. just love it. Yeah. And even now I go to Pandora 
for gifts for our now our son's girlfriends and yeah, yeah and, and people that I go you can yeah. always find something yeah. and, yeah. and and that store in Kotara that was our very first franchise store really yeah yes oh yeah. there you go yeah. let's get soulful on social media search the sister code Facebook page and follow us on Instagram what was going on for you at that time? I mean, were you, was your head just spinning going, I, you can't believe the success of that. You opened up at QVB. There's people lined up to get in. Was that like mind-blowing for you that it was that successful? There's several elements here. So one thing, when you get really, really busy, you often don't actually have time to even have those thoughts. It's just all about how do I get through tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> and, how, <laughs> and how do we get through the next project? But... Certainly after about three years, I really started thinking, gee, this is getting getting very big here. And I have no formal training in business. You know, I can hardly read a spreadsheet or a p and And my, my, my husband was flying for Qantas, so he was away a lot, but he was doing the, the books and the, um, the IT, like the, he was doing the, the accountants, uh, the accounts and, and IT, yeah. uh, while also being a pilot. Uh, and and there was a point where we had to get some more help and some senior guys on board and and there was a, a time where I just didn't think I could do the job because yeah, there was so much I didn't know I didn't know and I got a business coach on board and that was really good because she said that she spent about 95% of her time coaching senior leaders in business on how to deal with people and how to appreciate emotional intelligence and how to get people on board and come with them on the journey again I didn't even really know about that concept but it came to me yeah naturally so she said what we need to do with you is that we bolster you up with some a really strong management team so you get the skills around you which you need to take the business to next level but you can still be the glue which are are, are pulling it all together yeah and that's what we set out to do i've just learned so much from you in that last two minutes of what you said <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Do you know, a, a couple of years ago, I was very fortunate to go to Necker Island and spend some time with Richard Branson doing a leadership retreat there. Yeah. And that's something that he said. He said that he always employs people who knows more than he does and, and that he has those people who are experts at what they do around him. Yeah. Yeah, because you can't be everything to yeah. everyone. Yeah. And, and also, I will, I'm not afraid of saying that I don't know that. And I don't understand that. And so I think sometimes it's it's good when you have somebody who is have a, is a specialist in a field. Yeah. And then yeah. you have someone coming in and just asking a layman's question, but why? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and and those whys are often really good to actually getting the outcome you want to get. Yeah. So I ended up getting a very strong management team around me. And, and and very much became the glue which kept it kept all every, together. Yeah, I love that. I have found the recruitment process, like we've got you back, sister. I have found that really challenging. I don't enjoy the recruitment process. Did you have any have any problems with that personally or picking the wrong people? When we had about 35 staff, I realised that we need to have a very strong HR yes. person on board. So initially we engaged a HR manager, yep. but the business quite quickly actually outgrew her too and then I got a very senior uh, HR manager on board who came from an organization with over 200 staff and getting her on board really helped me. We were very clear on what our vision and and mission for our 
brand was. And when we were recruiting, it was about 70-80% on value fit. Yeah. And obviously, they had to know uh, the spe- specific field we wanted them to get into. But it was more important for us that the fit was right than, than just recruiting for the actual skill set. I absolutely agree. You've got to have a value fit, haven't yeah. you? And people that actually really love what the company's about, what you do. Yeah. There was a couple of times where we got it wrong, but we were then very quick to act on it. I mean, we had we had one person in, I think she lasted a week. Yep. She couldn't say good morning to her staff and, and were just not talking respectfully to the staff she had. And people came to me and said, what on earth is going on? Like, what? <laughs> Who are is we, this are, person? <laughs> yeah, are we supposed to report to that person? And she does. Yeah. So, so, so she departed very quickly with her and, and there was a gentleman as well. Similarly, first thing he wanted to do was to send one of his staff down to the shops to buy him salt and pepper for his lunch. And that's not, <laughs> not going to happen. <laughs> That's a little bit 1950s, isn't it? Yeah, I need so. you to go to the shop and get me coffee and salt and pepper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very important that the cultural fit was right. And people didn't want to leave us. Once they started yeah. working with us, they really did enjoy being part of it. In the earlier days, to me, it was have always been very important that there's a respect throughout the business. Yeah. And we had the business in around Pitwater. Yeah. Brooke and I had a boat and we were not very often able to use this boat. And, and the boat could have 12 people on board. And I've always been of the use, if you have something beautiful, you've got to use it. It's no point yeah. in just having it sitting there on the water. So having, at the time, I think we had about 60, 70 staff. So we got a skipper who could sail the boat, who could then do maintenance in the building when he wasn't on the water. And then if the weather was good, we would put up a notice board in, in the launch room saying, the boat is going out today, quarter past five, and put your name down. Aww. So people from all departments could just put their name down and then every day when the weather was nice, the boat would go out. And that was a wonderful way for people across the different departments to meet. So whether you were head of marketing or picking the jewellery in the picking room, everybody was out there yeah. and just meeting each other, enjoying the beautiful pit water and having a chat. And so friendships were built right across the business and that was very valuable in terms of just having that fundamental respect yep. for one another and you would always have uh, have a morning tea on a Wednesday morning where different departments were bringing cake in yeah. and then you know everybody meets and have a chat for about half an hour and just catch up and so there was a really good connection yeah. um, across the company with with amongst everyone yeah which is nice to see yeah that is beautiful and so important i've learned that yeah the culture is really important want to save your soul review us on apple podcast you've grown the company super successful you've grown this wonderful team with a beautiful culture and values what was it because at some stage you decided to exit the company so yeah, what was so, it that made you want to do that? So when Pandora was bought by a private equity company, Pandora and Denmark didn't actually own any of the international distributions. So they wanted to buy some of that distribution back. They wanted to take the five key markets back. Yeah. So in our situation, they wanted to buy us back. The UK market, which was started by a guy at the same time as I started, he hadn't really done a lot mm. for the brand. So they cancelled his distribution agreement yeah. because, as I was saying early on, you know, yeah. that distribution agreement wasn't really worth the paper it was written on. And Pandora and Denmark could just have said, look, thanks a lot, but we are going to now cancel your distribution. And they could have done that. And wow. we wouldn't have had a leg to stand on. But they wanted to 
to buy us out and take over yeah. the distribution. And, and part of that negotiation was that I had to stay on for two years. Yeah. And I ended up staying on for three years. Yeah. When Pandora brought us back, they also established a global management team yeah. because at the time, it, Pandora were in, yeah, I think, 65 markets across the world. And it was quite different how the market were, were doing. Like, for example, in our market, 20% of our turnover was gold, whereas yeah. in the US, 3% of the turnover wow. gold. So it was still very much up to the individual markets, how they were working with the brand. And, and obviously, being a global brand, it's very important that you have one brand, one voice across the, yeah. the, 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 the global market. So I was invited to sit on the global management team, yep. which meant that I had to travel to Europe once a month. And I did that pretty much for three years. So once a month. That's tiring. <laughs> that, was, that was tiring. Uh, and and uh, we were listed on the stock exchange thing in 2010. Yep. And then that then changed quite a bit because it then was very much about how do we deliver the next three months as opposed to there's a longer strategy of the brand. And I, I, I did find that a bit yeah. difficult because um, I was very passionate about the staff and the stock and the customers and... Yeah. You know, the, the, the whole business and then constantly just go from quarter to quarter and because just all about deliver the next quarter. Yeah. I thought maybe it's time for me yeah. uh, to move on. And, and I was tired having to travel every month. That was really challenging as well with, with still having three small children. So I thought maybe it's time for me to go. Oh, do you know, one year, I think it was 2018, 2018. I went overseas five times and I was exhausted and that was only five times. But at the end of the year, I said to Craig, actually it must have been 2019 it was because I said to Craig at the end of the year, do you know what? I'm actually exhausted. I don't want to do any travel whatsoever in 2020 and then a COVID hit. <laughs> <laughs> you get what you wish for, people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you get right. what you put out. Yeah. yeah, so I can imagine going over every month, especially yeah. with kids, that would be tough. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. It was tricky. Yes, I thought it was, it was t- time for me to go, but... Also, a very difficult decision, though, because I, I loved it and, and had such close relationship with the staff and with yeah. the stoners. And yeah, yeah it was, it was um, difficult. And I mean, if I could give any advice, I think that I had not expected and I wasn't prepared for the transition yeah. between being super busy and then 1st of July 2012, suddenly... No emails coming in. There was no phone calls. I was just yeah. And then it's like, gee, what what do I do now? Yes. And, and I wish I wish I'd been better prepared for that. Yeah. And, and had. So what do you do? You just get up every day and kind of make a couple. No, but then I I I, I way too quickly try to rush into to try to do the same thing again. Yeah. And and you can't really do that. Yeah. But I I, I try to do that. But but that was difficult. Yeah. And. I wish I'd taken some time out to really try to identify. So what is it I mm. want to do? What am I good at? How do I make sure I focus on yeah. what I'm good at and maybe leave some of the other things and, and, and not focus on that? You know, I should have spent some more time on that. Yeah. And I think that's when I, in 2016, got involved with the vineyard and, and, and suddenly saw 
Hey, there's a whole heap of elements around what this vineyard has to offer, which I really, really love doing. Yeah. Maybe I can just make this my new line of work. Yeah. And then make this working really well and just focus on that yeah. and not think I have to do yeah. 20 different things. And it's really interesting, like you're talking and, and I so resonate with that. And I know it's very different. I run a small charity. <laughs> So I run a big uh, multinational jewelry company or anything like that. But, you know, we have a team now and I have really had to think, what's my role now? And that team has taken some of the workload from me. And so it's I've I have found that transition kind of difficult and I've gone from being busy, 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 you know, up on the computer at eleven o'clock at night and in on, on weekends and thinking about it constantly to going, I have space now. What do I do with that? Yeah. What do you do with yeah. the space? And then it's like, I need to fill the space. Yeah. How am I going to fill it? And then it's like, no, actually, you need to not fill the space. Yeah. You just need to sit with it. I, so I totally get that. Want to fill your soul with more? Go to thesisterco.com. Okay, so Karen, tell us about the story of how you founded Windmark. My partner, John, he had come across this vineyard in the Honda Valley. And I'd been away overseas. And when I got back, I said, oh, I found this really nice vineyard in the Hunter Valley. We should go and have a look at it. And I'm like, we're not buying a vineyard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't see how we would have time to to go to the Hunter Valley a lot and start engaging with the vineyard. And so, oh, no, but we really should go and have a look. And if you were able to have a vineyard, this is a really good vineyard. Because it was Paul's Rock. This is Paul's Rock and Broke. And Paul's Rock but- is a fabulous vineyard. Yeah, but at the time, I had no idea about that. <laughs> I, I, I just kept saying, but we're not, ha- we not going to get a vineyard. But, uh, but nevertheless, over that weekend, we still agreed that we were to go up and just having a look at this vineyard. So at 11 o'clock on Monday morning, we drive in and have a look at this vineyard. And I fall completely in love with this vineyard. Yeah. And we place a ridiculous offer. And within the hour, they rang back and said, congratulations, you have got yourself a vineyard. <laughs> So and just like that, from, you're a winery owner. <laughs> yeah, from, from not having a vineyard to uh, within literally three days, now uh, very much having a vineyard. Uh, initially, we really just uh, got it to have that for family and friends. Yeah. But as we start spending time there, we realized that it, it was known for making really good Chardonnay. Mm. I mean, the property was in a very poor condition when we got it. Uh, I a- remember AGL you- had, had, had owned it for five years and really done nothing good to the to the grapes, to the wines. So we had to pull out some blocks and we had to replant some blocks and engaged a really strong team around us to help us with that. We got David Grosser, a local vineyard manager on board, and Liz Riley, which is an award-winning viticulturist on board. And between the two, they have done a remarkable job in bringing that vineyard back to life, which is wonderful to see. But as we started spending time there, we realise there really is a lot of potential here. And I also very much feel if you have something really beautiful, you've got to share it. If you can't fully use it yourself, you know, it's sort of a waste just to sit there. You've got to, to widen it out yeah. and let other people come and have that stunning feeling yeah. of, of what it is like to be on the property. Yeah. So things have developed over five years. So yeah. about a year ago, we opened a cellar door. And that became kind of a natural extension of starting to growing the grapes and realizing, hey, there's a really good Chardonnay here. Mm. So how do you get your Chardonnay out? We've got to have a cellar door. Absolutely. You know, so now we have a cellar door. And then we were initially open three days a week, but that's not good enough because what about the people who come in the middle of the week to broke 
they can't trial Chardonnay. Oops, we got to be open seven days, and now we open seven days. Yeah. And been open the last six months every day. But then with that also came, hmm, maybe we need to do something more, and we do only have our Chardonnay. I mean, we do beautiful cheese platters, but maybe we need to add some more to the experience. And again, because the property is so beautiful, and I love sculptures, we thought, let's do a sculpture park. When I was there, you took us on a sculpture walk through the property and it was really wonderful hearing the stories about the different sculptures and how they came to be there and what they signified. I loved the way that we are developing the property continuously and putting more pieces in and now our sculptures are starting to come to us as well yeah. and the last couple of sculptures we have put in is is sculptures which are actually for sale which which yeah. are, are owned by some sculptures but they would like to have a place where they can display yeah. their work so with that it also came that we we really should have an art gallery yes and i've always loved art and as you would have seen when you visited us that there's art everywhere in the houses yeah but there was no more walls so i needed a space where we could have some art which we could sell and which we so we could keep going out and exploring finding new art and bringing that to winmark so our art gallery have been open now for about five five months yeah and great to see people are now coming also because of the gallery yeah yeah. Well, it's a very special place. I love the rocks there. I can see why it was initially called Paul's Rock, and I know that there's a there was a rock there. It was named after a convict. Yeah. So back in the early 1800, there was yeah. a convict called Richard Pools, and the the legend goes that he used to sleep in that very large hollow out towards the yeah. road, and that's why it's called. Pool's Rock. Rock. Yeah, well, it's a very special place. I know I felt so at peace there. Yeah. Do you know what I love about you? You seem to have like an inner drive and an inner confidence because you built Pandora, you buy a winery and it's like, okay, I need to share this. And, you know, you're creating this amazing brand. It's beautiful shardy. I know I love a shardy. The reserve shardy is my favorite. I've actually got that in the wine club. It's my delivery. (laughs) (laughs) You can join the wine club at Winmark. Amazing shardies. But I go, you must have that inner drive, that inner confidence to actually create a brand, to create a product. And then, you know, when I was at Winmark, you had gone and visited all the wineries in Broke and created the Broke Wine Trail to actually get people to the area. It's like, you know, you could have just bought a winery and kind of went there every weekend or moved there and just hung out. But no, you're like creating and growing and bringing people in with you again. What is it about you? What qualities do you have, do you think, to make all that happen? Because so many people have ideas all the time. Yeah. But they don't necessarily make that happen. I'm a very hard taskmaster on myself. And, <laughs> and when I get an idea of something, I want to pretty much implement it yesterday, which can be a bit tough also <laughs> on the team around me. <laughs> I don't know. I think I am definitely an entrepreneur at heart. And yeah. I'm always thinking, what could we do better? How can we improve? What else can we do? And and with the, the vine trail, for example, I, I saw a vine trail in Provence and I thought, gee, we've got to, there's got to be a vine trail in Brook Fordwich. And then when I came back and started to talk to some of the vineyard about it, they said, oh, yeah, now we've talked about that for 15 years. 
And then Karen came to the valley and made that happen. <laughs> no, no. no then I talked to Anne from Greenway from because I was still very new and I felt oh, that that's not going to go down very well. I, I can't be the one pushing for this, but I can certainly be in the background helping making it happen. And yeah. and and Greenway was also very keen to make this happen. So we very much worked together on that. Yeah, we have a wonderful graphic designer uh, which works with us, and she did beautiful job. And I'm sure you've all seen our our broke Fordwich wine trail yeah. today, which is which is a an awesome wine trail to visit yep. and very much hoping that people are coming out to see us uh, yeah. because there's so many great locations to visit in Brookford. But I did work on getting this wine trail happening almost a year before we had our own cellar yeah. door. And I think that a lot of the vineyards out there actually got respect for the fact that, like in, in my area, got respect yeah. for the fact that I spent time on making that happen and also spent three days driving around with the vine trail map to everyone <laughs> right across the Honda Valley because I really wanted it to get out there. Yeah. Well, knowing that I didn't actually, I couldn't take any guests anyway. <laughs> yeah. It took almost a year before I, my cellar door opened. But it, it for me, it wasn't about here and now, it was about getting the vine trail established yeah um, it's like seeing the, the future. future seeing ahead and making yeah. making breakford which a destination yeah so that there and people understand that there are so many wineries there and not just wineries there's like the soap shop down the road yeah. and yeah yeah, yeah. there's so many great places to visit let's get soulful on social media search the sister code facebook page and follow us on instagram so, big question. What have you learned on this whole crazy life journey that you've been on? Because um, you've done amazing things. When you are facing a big project, rather being overwhelmed by sort of the enormity of it, try to break it down into small pieces. bites and pieces which you can then manage. Yeah. Because it can be a bit daunting if you're looking at it as there's a big picture. And I think when we first bought Winmark, when we didn't have the visions of what it looks like today, but it, it it has evolved. You know, it's okay sometimes to embark on something new and not have the the whole roadmap yeah. panned out. Do I you know, know what? a lot of people probably disagree on that, but I no, but I I'm think- the same. I'm the same. I believe in unfolding. Yeah. Because people go, oh, you know, what's your five-year plan? And I kind of go, we don't really have one, but actually mm. we're about finding the gaps. We're about helping yeah. our women yeah. and about opportunities coming and being able to recognize those and take those opportunities and yeah. that it will unfold yeah 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 i agree yeah it doesn't always have to be 100 percent planned yeah yeah but I've, but, i think the magic happens in the unplanned yeah no no I, i'm a bit no, I, I actually <laughs> I, I do live a bit like that too i've got to say yeah yeah and also don't believe when anyone tell you that you can't do it you know i think if you have a will to do it and 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 you are breaking it down fine enough you know yeah. then just chip away at it and little by little yeah. you, you can actually achieve yeah. a, a huge amount and admittedly when i started pandora back there in the garage i had no idea it was going to grow to what it grew to and it was very much like one day took the next and oh gee a new opportunity oh let's run with that and then another opportunity presented itself and then let's run with that and i think one of the advantages I had over maybe some of the markets where it was an established jewellery distributor who took it was I didn't know what you were supposed to do or not do. You know, I was just running with lots of different ways of putting the brand out there and and some of them were certainly not the traditional way of doing it. But I put the thing on its head (laughs) and then just ran with 
any possible opportunity I could think of. And some work more than others, but collectively, yeah. uh, they, they really work. And I think what I'm doing with Vindmark, I'm not necessarily following a script book. I'm very much following my intuition and yes and if i get an idea you know yes. i want to run with it and i run with it like now <laughs> i love that i love that i totally believe in that intuition it's guided me so well yeah if you yeah. tune into that i love yeah. that i kind of yeah. love that you didn't go okay so i really mapped out like a five to ten year plan and this is what we're going to achieve it's like you know what yeah. just just yeah. let's let this happen and yeah. and follow your inner guidance and it'll uh, and it'll work out and because it totally has worked out for you <laughs> <laughs> but when I was doing working with my business coach back there, what must be 12 years ago now, during Pandora, and yeah. the very last session, she wanted me to listen to this uh, CD, and then I had to think of what's happening in the future, what, where are you at in 10 years? I could not do that. Yeah. And I went back to her and said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. The closest I got, and I said that to her, is, is that I feel I'm sitting somewhere on a veranda and looking out over a beautiful garden. But that was as far as I could go. And it happened. <laughs> so somehow, in a weird and wonderful way, that, oh, that happened. Mm. I love it. I actually find that so refreshing. <laughs> so you don't um, have, it doesn't have to all be mapped out. I love that. And that's coming from this amazing Karen Adcock who literally dominated Australia with the Pandora market. I love it. <laughs> and now Winmark Wines. Okay, lastly, my friend, what have you learned about yourself? I'm actually an introvert, extrovert. I find that when I'm in a space where I'm comfortable and where I know what I'm doing, yeah. when I was working with Pandora and whenever I was in charge of an event, for example, I would 100% be the host and... and very happy to to be there and hosting everyone. But if I come into an environment where I don't really know my way around, I don't know a lot of people and I don't quite know what, what the subject is, quite humble and quite happy just to sit in the corner and just sort of try to work out what's going on. Yeah. I don't have a need for being the To being person. in the spotlight. No, like, look no, at me. No, no. But when it's, well, we, we have guests coming to Winmark and I want to really make sure that they have that, the best mm. possible experience I really take charge and I want to tell them and I'm excited about sharing what we're doing there but I'm not doing that because I want to be in the center yeah. but I'm doing that because I want to make sure that they have the best possible experience they can have so yeah just been interesting sort of going along the way that there will also be often where I would just be sitting in, in a corner I'm quite happy just to sit yeah. there in the corner and nobody knows what, who I am and and, yeah. and that that suits me Perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, and that's just self-awareness, isn't it? And understanding of being okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Karen. You're awesome. <laughs> Such a soulful sister. I love it. Now, for anybody who's listening, one of the things that off air I'm going to have a chat to Karen about is I'm really keen to book a Hey Soul Sister private lunch out at Winmark. I'm going to talk to Karen about that. If you are interested in buying a ticket to come along to that, Email me at melissa at the sister code. So that's T-H-E-S-I-S-T-A code, C-O-D-E dot com. And let me know and I can be in touch with further details. Karen, thank you so much for coming and sharing your super inspiring story. Thank you so much for having me. Yay. Thanks for listening to Hey Soul Sister with Mel Histon. What would help you on your crazy life journey? Email melissa at thesisterco.com.